This is The Process on Sirius XM Stars, offering guidance and insight into the college admissions process. Now, here are Eric J. Ferda and Eileen Cunningham-Fikens. Welcome to The Process on Sirius XM Stars. Eric Ferda, Dean of Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania, live from Studio 2, Sirius XM Studios in New York City. And this is Eileen Cunningham-Fikens, Dean of College Counseling at the Dwight Englewood School in Englewood, New Jersey. Hey, Eric, how are you doing? What's going on? You know? Did you listen to the last show when you kind of abandoned me? Okay, I'll have totally a nice vacation. didn't abandon you. And you Not know what? Abandoned. I was checking out universities in Greece and making sure that I was up on all the opportunities that students might be interested in in Greece. Because let's face it, the process dives into the journey of the college admissions process wherever families are in the timeline, students, parents, counselors, educators, and also wherever you are geographically. Absolutely. Right? So, you know, it's a lot of different um, dimensions. A lot of dimensions yep. going. And we want to hear from you throughout the month, 866-993-8267. Or send us an email at the process at SiriusXM. And looking at the sheet, we got a lot of questions coming up for this show. However, the big news right now, right now, here in Studio Two, is right behind me, right in the green room, mm-hmm. has eighty-four million followers on Twitter. So I don't want to hear that Twitter's dead. No, oh, it's not. And I want to know. So who? And is? well, this is this is the thing. If you know who that is. We're going to talk about it a little later, maybe, but that's the mystery, right? That's the mystery question. Who's in studio right next to us? That's right. Right That's why we went through security, and I thought all these people were here to see us, but I was kind of let down that way. (laughs) And we're we're sitting sitting with our good friend, David Charlo. David Charlo is a financial aid expert from accessapply.com. How are you doing, David? I'm doing great. Awesome. End of the summer, though. Okay, so... End of the summer. So I've have you achieved been back. your summer goals? Oh, absolutely. Whatever they were. Absolutely. Did you have any? Yes, I had some. Ooh, we'll tell. Right? So I'm in a new position in the college counseling office at the Dwight Englewood School. So I have moved my office lock, stock, and barrel. I have um, made sure that we are ready to rock and roll. So given that for everybody listening to us on Sirius XM Stars 109, it's like, you know, what the whole concept is. Here is we have the college admissions process from the dean's desk, the financial aid expert area, and what is your new role at Dwight Well, I'm School? a dean too now, so move over, Ferda. Right, but it's the college admissions Scott, office. Scott, get us a bigger studio. <laughs> too many deans in one room. <laughs> but also think about it: admissions, financial aid, and college counseling. That's right. So we're looking at this process with a 360 degree lens. The only thing that's going to make it helpful for you is if we hear from you That's so right. that we can respond to your questions. Again, We have so much fun talking to each other, but we, we really want to make sure we include you in that conversation. So give us a call, shoot us an email, let us know what you're thinking about and what you have in terms of questions. That's, that's right. And so it's always interesting because I think wherever we are, particularly when we're here together, end of August, you know, talking about summertime, is I see a couple different parts of this process playing out right now. Number one, students are 
coming back to college. Mm-hmm. You know, returning students are coming back. We also have our our freshmen, our first year students moving in. What a rite of passage. I mean, you, when you really think about this, there's only a few things in life where you really have that seasonality, right. really that sense of a beginning and then, you know, graduation. I'm going to speak with all of our enrolled students and welcome them to campus. We and, welcome the parents And let's the talk about well. that, right? So let's talk about what happens on your campus. So the freshmen are dropped off by Mumsy and Popsicle or whoever it is in their family, right? So it's a huge new beginning, clean slate, fresh start for these students. What happens to the culture of your campus between two weeks ago and this week? Oh, the rhythm is completely different. Number one, construction season ends. It has to. And then we roll out nice grass over that construction. And it, I mean, it really is. It's like a change of seasons. It's like implant, you know, put grass here. And it, it's it's absolutely amazing because you feel that vitality of having 10,000 undergraduates back on, a, on an urban campus. And so everything changes. The flow changes. The tempo changes. The faculty are back and ready to go. So it really is that new beginning. So for families who are going through the process, Process with their sophomores, with their Give us juniors. a call, actually, and leave a message. Tell us about Move-In and how it's going. We'd love to know. Right? I think Penn oh, does a great a, job with Move-In. That's a great idea, but also for those high school students that are just embarking on the process or wherever they are on the trajectory of the process, think about this. If you've already visited a college over the summer and you're really interested in that college, you might want to double back and see what it's like w- during the academic year Definitely. and check out the culture and the vibe and the energy on so that I campus. Mean, with with that, so you're having students coming back to Dwight Englewood right now. Are, are you thinking about kind of that revisit for some of these seniors? They're going to come with you and say, you know, Miss Vikings, here's my list, right? We've been talking about it. We're refining it. How does this time of year play in for your seniors? It's a, it's still an exploratory time of year. They're winnowing down lists at this point, right? So when we start with our juniors, they might be looking at somewhere between 25 and 30 schools. Their job That's mind-boggling. Of, that is mind-boggling, right? But and they might not necessarily visit every single one of those campuses, but they're doing the research to ascertain whether or not those schools and what those schools offer align with what their goals are in terms of education, in terms of culture, in terms of all those demographics and everything from location, distance from home, size of student body, right? So they're looking at that. They're in a different headspace now. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, before it was they were shopping. Now it's more tangible. Okay. Now it's in the next so few now, months. Now right? it's like you're going in, you're not just browsing. Now no, it's now okay, they're you're a more educated, to. more sophisticated consumer at this point. So if they are going back to a college for a second time, it's really to see okay, number one, is the school remaining on my list? And number two, if they're thinking about attending or apl- applying to that institution under a binding early decision agreement, Definitely. this is where I really see them kind of sorting that out. So, David, how do you see financial aid playing into this, this part time of the year? Now, certainly the students that are on our campus right now, they've already have had those conversations, hopefully, but there might be some tight ends to get, you know, really pulled together, like their work-study job when they're on campus. What about for, for Eileen and her students who are looking and maybe even thinking about an early plan? How does financial aid fit in here? Well, if they've been listening to us for the past few months... And they've worked financial on fit serious into that. XM and Stars 109 absolutely. on demand. <laughs> nice plug in your for car it. on demand. Download All the, the app. Time. So as Eileen said, they're they're looking at schools for the va- various fits: mm-hmm. geographic fit, academic fit, cultural fit, social fit, etc. But none of the fits matter if there isn't financial fit. That's we right. We say that over and over and over. So That's right. hopefully, they're thinking about cost as it relies as it relates to early decision and the whole binding nature of it. 
it's often misunderstood what binding means. Binding doesn't mean if we accept you, we're going to drag you off That's kicking right. and screaming no matter what. That's it, right. it requires that the uh, financial aid, if you apply for financial aid, work, mm-hmm. that, that, that the school be affordable uh, for you. Now, you can do your research to know it's likely to be now by looking at the net price calculators. So you should know that going in without taking the risk. That's right. And, and that's different than a few years ago. And just so that we're not bandying about terms that we all know, the net price calculator is a tool on every college website. Correct. Go into that a little bit more so, deeply for so me. So it's, it it, it's a tool. It, it's, a, it's an online calculator that estimates the financial aid package, the grants and the scholarships, which are really So it discounts. dives into that. It's not just right. what you're going to pay. It shows you what the, what, what the estimated discounted price is if there is a discount for your family at a specific school. And the schools that have binding early decision, many of them tend to award need-based financial aid. Yes. So those, those net price calculators tend to be more accurate than some of the other schools that, that don't you know, meet full need as defined by their process. Which is a great question. I think a lot of families and a lot of students might ask in an information session, do you offer financial aid? A more revealing question yeah, so how and can, a much how more our, useful How can we be more specific here then? Right? That's right. So, so do you meet 100% demonstrated need? Right. And and are you only need-based financial aid or are there merit right. aspects right. And, to And there's a aid? lot of jargon involved yeah, in both is. admissions and financial aid. So you have to decode some of the language. So financial aid includes grants and scholarships, which are discounts. That's financial aid that reduces the price. That's the best kind of aid. Great. Work study and loans are also useful financial aid, but they help you pay the resulting discounted price. Uh, Some schools award only need-based aid, meaning they're collecting a lot of information about your family circumstances, estimating the eligibility based upon their definition of demonstrated need, which might not meet yours. But, right. But, it, right. but it, it's, it, it, it's a rational approach, at least. You know, they have to start somewhere. Many schools, though, have, have shifted to non-need-based aid, to merit aid, or, or aid that's you know, based on a very complex algorithm where they're just giving you a discount to try to get you to come. That's right. But it always right. cracks me up when I'm watching a movie and you know the ingenue wins a full scholarship to an Ivy League institution because that yeah. doesn't when exist. Exactly. When, it's all, when it's all need-based. <laughs> but again, it's like it does get jargony. I think for families, it's, you know, can I afford this? You know, right. what's realistic? I think right. having those conversations as a family is really important as well. This Completely. isn't usually what you'll have a conversation with your son or daughter about. However, this may be one of those times. I think that's a really important point because I think many parents are loath to have that conversation, whereas the students are actually ready and willing to be adults about it. You know, there are no scholarships for retirement. That's Your parents right. still have to eat and live indoors when they get a little bit older. And if they if they burn all their money or they, they borrow heavily, which happens, uh, it's a problem. And But the students will, will actually uh, respond to that. If- I just want to make sure um, everyone understands also that families can now apply for financial aid as early as... October 1st. Yes, I think after break we should come back to that talk right. about deadlines, that's a big, admissions, and financial aid deadlines. Date, right? That sounds great. We're queuing up the show. We're heading to break, but we want your questions. 866-993-8267. This is The Process on SiriusXM Stars 109. We'll be right back. 
You're listening to The Process on Sirius XM Stars, offering guidance and insight into the college admissions process. Here again are Eric J. Ferda and Eileen cunningham Fiken. Welcome back to The Process on Sirius XM Stars. Eric Ferda, Dean of Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania with my partner in The Process. Eileen cunningham Fikens, Dean of College Counseling at the Dwight Englewood School. And our good friend David Charlo from Access Applied. Okay, so that song that you just heard, Home by Anna Shoemaker, She's playing The Knitting Factory. She is an up-and-coming star. And actually, I would love to see, if we're doing some cross-promotion of SiriusXM, if on train tracks... Can we, can we, can we get Pat, to, uh, Pat Monahan to play Anna Shoemaker on train tracks? Do you think he listens to our show? Does he have a college age going, you know, you know, Pat, I'm sure you're not listening to us unless you have a, you know, a 15 or 16 year old. So follow Anna Shoemaker at Anna Shoemaker. But then also this person with like 84 million followers. The question of the day is who is in the green room and going to perform here in New York City? Hey, I know know that everyone out there, you guys are so quick. You're so fast. That's a big clue right there. That is a big clue. Right. You are so swift, Taylor. Mm -hmm. Taylor Swift <laughs> in the house. You know, I sent a little, you know, a little message to all of my children's friends who are like in their teen years, and they think I'm really cool right now because I'm here in New York with Taylor Swift and with Eileen Cunningham, Vikings, and, and Dave David Charlotte. That's Let's right. Not forget who's in the studio and with, with you. you. So give us a call eight six six nine nine three eight two six seven. You too can say that you heard yourself on the radio that Taylor Swift was at. So we we're talking about financial aid <laughs> deadlines. You know, let's get it back on track here. We we're right. talking about some financial aid deadlines. We're going to go to some voice questions at this part of the of the show. So David, October one, you can October one of the senior year. Here we are at the end yes. of August, so people are getting their their materials together. That's right. So hopefully, while paying attention to the important admissions application deadlines, which everyone does, uh, folks who intend to apply for financial aid are also paying attention concurrently to the financial aid deadlines because it's very important. If you miss a deadline, even more you might ways, right? lose mm-hmm. uh, aid that you would otherwise be eligible for. Uh, so on October 1 now... And the, I like that word eligibility too. Yes, because so, just, just eligibility is not the same as awarded aid, yes. but it is important to start somewhere and you have to apply in order to be eligible, in order to receive aid. Got to be in it to win it. So October first, exactly. October first, red star on your calendar. That's for that the day. first day that you can uh, complete the FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid, and also for the many schools that award a lot of need-based aid, the CSS financial aid profile form. That's uh, college. Board those form. are those are the two big ones, right? Those are two big ones. So and they do open on October first, and if you're applying early decision and sometimes early action, you definitely need to pay attention to the deadlines. The school deadlines for the submission of those forms will probably be November 1st or November 15th. Um, The FAFSA deadline for many schools is going to be later, but you can apply early and there's no downside to submitting that form early. Anybody who knows me who works with me in this process knows that my favorite F word, careful, is front load. (laughs) Front load this, people. This is huge. You want to make sure, you got to be in it to win it. You have to make sure that your ducks are in a row with regards to the financial aid and work back from that and make sure you have that conversation with your child about financial fit. That's right. Listening to the process here on SiriusXM Stars 109, we want to hear from you, 866-993-8267 or email at the process at SiriusXM.com. Speaking of, maybe we should go to a question. Oh, let's do that. We've got a few queued up, right? Absolutely. 
I'm calling from California, and my youngest child has challenges with math, so he's going to have to go to a junior college. Do you have any suggestions for us in his journey and how he could get his math grades up so he could get to a four-year college? Okay, so great question, right? I'm not a math teacher, but I do know that you have to remain in an educational frame of mind for learning. So I I don't necessarily use the term junior college as much as a college could be a community college, it could be a two-year college, it could be a two-year program at a four-year institution. And instead of taking all those other courses where your child might thrive, I would encourage this young man to continue in his math education. Um, Many students seek this path because of financial constraints, because of logistical constraints. It's a stepping stone. College is a stepping stone. It's not as much where you start, it's where you finish and how you plan in with a level of intentionality, how to make the most of each of those steps that you're taking. So it might be your local community college where you can get those courses under your belt and prove um, yourself capable in a variety of subjects so that when you're applying to transfer to a four-year institution, you're not relying on your performance in high school. Colleges for transfer are going to be looking at your most recent work. And if it's at a college level versus a high school level, there's merit to that as well. And what do you think, Eric? Well, I think it's pretty interesting in that, you know, you need to take a look at the curriculum of the school that you're going to, whether it's a two-year college, a four-year college. So, you know, in some ways, I'm not sure whether you should just feel that your options are off the table right Right. now, even for a four-year college at this stage, because of maybe a standardized math score or something reflected on, on on the transcript. I do think what's important, though, is looking for your son, what will he need to take once he's at whatever schools he's applying to? And so what quantitative are reasoning requirements? Exactly. Quantitative reasoning. Like every student's not taking multivariable calculus. Right. For some students, they may be taking statistics. If it's more about kind of logical thinking, then it could even be a philosophy class it or could a be linguistics a logic class. Course. Exactly. So you know, number one, I think for, for the call, thank you so much from, from California is you know, don't block off options right now exclusively because of that one piece, while also being very mindful of, you know, your your, your son developing those quantitative skills in whatever form that may be. Yeah, I, I, I was just going to say that stepping back from the craziness of the college application process, it's important to remember that, that high school is a valuable educational experience in and of itself. Sure. The courses you take at junior college, the same, and, and stick with the math not as because it's strategically important to get into a four-year school, but because you need some quantitative skills. That's a life the, skill. It, it, it's a life skill. And right. it, as Eric said, you don't have to get through the calculus sequence, but stick with it far enough so you develop those skills that you're going to need after graduation, wherever that may be. So for the parents out there, the students, you know, you could hear your voice on Sirius XM Stars 109. So please give us a call, 866-993-8267, especially as we transition from the end of the summer into the fall. Absolutely. Hey, I think we have some more callers. We do. Let's go for it. Hi, I'm calling in to the college process show. My son has high functioning Asperger's syndrome and ADHD. Uh, He doesn't need any real accommodations, but I'm wondering from an acceptance perspective if that is something I should disclose in his college application. 
my name is Valerie, and I'm calling from Evanston, Illinois. Thank you. Valerie, thank you for, for, for the question. And I think there's a couple different pieces here for consideration. One is, you know, what support systems does any college or university have for your son? And as you said, he doesn't need any real accommodations, but you, again, want to take a look at the curriculum and see what some of the requirements are, because it's not necessarily asking for an accommodation, it's asking for support. And I think that's really important, just you know, getting support. You do not have to disclose this in the application itself. You could separate those pieces out. You can apply through the, the, the application process, through the common application or coalition application to colleges, while independently speaking to some of those support offices on the campus, and we, we will not communicate. This is, you know, this is protected information that, that, that you're sharing. While also, there may be something in the application, a transcript or some other piece within the application that may make us ask a question to say, gee, is there something else here that we should know about? So you have to be very clear with the recommenders, the teachers and the counselors, whether this is something that they're going to discuss as well in the application. How would you handle this at Dwight Englewood School? Well, I would be focusing on, on FIT primarily yes. for that student. So whether or not the um, school has a special program for students with learning differences or they have services. Yes. That's a big differentiation. So why don't you differentiate that? There's a great guide out there. It's the K&W Guide, and it has a listing of all colleges in the United States that offer programs and services for students with learning differences. In addition, please know that the college counselor at your high school is a phenomenal resource. That counseling office is something that you should tap into. Now, calling from Evanston, Illinois, may either public or private school oh, may yeah. have that type of counseling support. Absolutely. Or other call from California, who knows with some of the caseloads I think that you it, see. But you know what? Counseling offices are service organizations. That's a service department at your high school. So be a self-advocate right. self and have your, have your son or daughter, whoever is out there, be a self-advocate. So talk to the counseling staff at your high school and also understand that I, as a counselor, cannot include information about a, a, a child's learning difference unless that student self-discloses. Okay. All right. So it's not as if it's a tarnish or a black mark on anyone's Correct. record. It's another clue for the admissions committee to be able to evaluate if they have the accommodations, the services, mm -hmm. the culture on their campus, which is going to set your child up for success. And that, and that culture really does go back to what you're saying, fit. And I, I love you know, the fact that there's a guidebook there that can really be a great resource, you know, for for Valerie and for her son. And also totally to tap into the Office for Student Services at any college because that's independent of the counseling or the admissions office, excuse me. That's right. That's right. Great call, Valerie. Thanks. And, you know, give us a call back and let us know how everything's working out. Love to. We could even give you some input, perhaps, once you once you put your list together. Having fun with these calls, Eileen, are you? These are great calls. I love getting these calls That's because right. I want to make sure That's why we actually do it right we want to democratize this information we want to make sure that we're being responsive to those concerns and questions that you have so please don't hold back we love all of these questions you're listening to the process on Sirius XM stars 109 give us a call 866-993-8267 let's go to another call hi my name is John I'm calling from upstate and I was wondering uh, my son will be taking the SATs 
uh, next year. And would you suggest getting a private tutor or enrolling in a program? And also, I've noticed that there are some colleges now that aren't taking, um, they're not uh, putting kind of weight on SAT scores. Is that going to be a kind of a new, um, a new wave of coming up? Donna, Thank you. Donna, these are great questions. And I see two major questions in this, right? One deals with test optional and the other with test prep. There are almost a thousand colleges in the United States right now that have moved to a test optional application review process, which means that they will not necessarily, um, they, the student might want to share scores, but they are not going to use standardized test scores as a point of review in their application um, consideration. When, so when, you have, when should ahead. you submit them, even if they are test optional? I mean, are there decisions that you make within Dwight Englewood yes. and you're advising? It's like... Yes, seventy fifth okay. percentile. Maybe I, put I don't know if language. I'm I'm quite that specific okay. about it. It's but it's anecdotal to each. It's specific to each college, right? And you want to see what their um, reported scores are for their admitted class in the previous year or two to see if the applicant is their scores are in that band. And I, I was reviewing the Common App uh, yesterday, actually, mm -hmm. and I noticed uh, at, in the schools that I was looking at. Every school that is test optional or some flavor version of test optional, they they ask you, would you like to submit your scores, yes or no? Okay, I see. So it, it's right there in, in the school-specific question section of the Common App for, for those schools when you're a senior applying. A few little points that I want to make sure, thank you, David, that we include. One, it is optional for students to fill out their test scores on the Common App. So if they have a number of colleges to which they're applying, but two of them are test optional, they might not not want to put their test scores on the Common App because those colleges that do require them. That's going to go to everybody. Is Right. It's that Common App is common, right? And you can have different versions of the Common App, but you just want to have that conversation with your counselor. Co most colleges are going to, upon admission, require official test scores. You can self-report your scores on your Common App, but again, bear in mind that if you're applying to institutions which are test optional and you don't want to show your cards, so to speak, with yes. those test scores, it's upon you to be responsible with how you use the Common App. Um, more and there more schools a, are taking self-reported scores, Absolutely, too. because that has been, in the past, a barrier of access for students who have considerable financial aid needs, right, or financial needs. So it costs money to send these tests, right? So we're very, very happy in the counseling community that a lot of colleges ha are now saying, we'll accept self-reported scores, but you're still going to have to send those scores in officially when you are admitted if you are enrolling. There's a great resource out there. It's a web-based uh, resource. It's called fairtest.org. And FairTest lists every college in the United States that is test optional. It lists it in alpha order by state. So it's super easy to identify at a quick snapshot um, which schools out there are test optional. And every year, different colleges have different policies or adapt to a so test optional. So it's updated. Right. So the other question, though, is about test prep. So what's interesting, David, as you said, that you're going through the Common App, I was literally going through score reports you know, recently for... Uh, for students for the University of Pennsylvania, and there's so much information on the actual score report 
talking about, well, how do you anchor the score I actually received and really what's the range of the scores that I would, would receive. But also to this question is there's a box that says it is shown that if you have X number of hours, maybe it's like 20 hours of test prep on Khan Academy, mm-hmm. which is free, free, which gets to this question, that scores go up on average maybe about 120 points. That's something. big. It was like 20 hours to 120 points, something like that. It's on the report. But... So what's your thought on this? And I'll also add for the question, literally being in a house with some teenagers this summer, uh, I, I saw a range of test prep. Some mm-hmm. was individualized via Skype right. for a certain number of hours. So the student who had a summer job didn't have to go to one place or the other. And then another individual that you know had more of that in-person and it seemed even more hours. So there right. was a range here. There's a, there are a lot of different options for test prep ranging from free to rather costly. I think it depends on the individual student and their learning style, the family and their financial resources. And here's something else to consider, flexibility of time. So having two children of my own that went through this process both received some kind of test prep but they were very, very different iterations based on their particular schedule and their other obligations. So that's another part of this. The one thing I want to make sure that everybody out there hears, though, is that the transcript is always going to be a more important document in the application review than a test score. So even if a college does require testing, you don't want to sacrifice time that would be better spent on academics for test prep. Well, because you know, you, you can't you can't create time, right? And there right. is a cost benefit to all of this and kind of a marginal utility too. If it's like that umpteenth hour, am I really going to get anything else out of it or not? Right. Uh, the the other thing as well, and I always thought that the summer between sophomore and junior year is a good time to familiarize yourself right. with the tests. You know, that that's the first stage of test prep in my mind. You know, maybe take a diagnostic at one of the agencies that are they're almost always free to determine whether you're better suited to the ACT kind of a diagnostic. or that's the SAT. Because, you know, you might be better at one test or the other. Familiarity with the structure of the test, familiarity with the timing of the different sections, how many questions are in each section, that is the basic research that a family or a student should be able to do without incurring any cost. And take some practice tests, whether you set the egg timer on the kitchen counter right. or well, do it through your school. Well, that's also proven. It's you need practice. to take these tests in a kind of as simulated, simulated. experience as possible. You know, right. you're, you're not, well, number one, put your phone away. You know, have that egg (laughs) timer or whatever that thing is called, right? But you have to really put yourself in that type of environment. And then again, I think for all families listening, students, it's, again, you can get fatigued by going through all of this. So at some point you need to say, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done taking the Especially with how many tests, times you take the test. That's a big part too. So What's your recommendation at Dwight Engel? Maybe three, at the most, four. At the very, very most, four. Yeah, four seems um, to but be the, the statistics limit. seem to show that after three sittings of a test, you're not your score isn't going to change all that much, right? So here's a really cool thing to do: when you get your PSAT scores back, it will give you a diagnostic on how you performed, which questions you which questions. You so do you shore, have correctly. to shore up your algebra? How right. You, so reading I comprehension that, is a big piece. I hope that answers the question. The These are is, all great questions. They are. You mentioned the PSAT. The same is, too, is true for the plan, which is the ACT version of that. And some high schools uh, give that. Uh, yep. So talk to your guidance office. That's right. But because I do. I really do think that all of this is used as a diagnostic so you can understand not only your overall score, but what it really, what it really looks like. 
I think Taylor just walked by. I'm sorry. Don't go anywhere because we'll be right back. You're listening to The Process on Sirius XM Stars 109. You're listening to The Process on Sirius XM Stars, offering guidance and insight into the college admissions process. Here again are Eric J. Ferda and Eileen cunningham Fikins. Welcome back. This is The Process on Sirius XM Stars. Eric Ferda, Dean of Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania. Hey, hey, hey. This is Eileen cunningham Fikins, Dean of College Counseling at the Dwight Englewood School. My partner in the process. This is show number 26. Is you, it really? You weren't here for 25. So okay, how many times are you just going to make me suffer for that four, one? Four. When are you going to start talking about your blog? Then I'll really That's know right. that I'm back. Please, my blog, page 217. <laughs> and we're going to post Taylor Swift pictures there, too. So that means that even more people can visit page 217. Do, don't we do a show from Greece next summer now? Hey, I'm all for that. I'm totally all for that. Yeah. We're okay. going global here. Scott, you're coming with us. Okay. David Charlo from Access Applied, financial aid expert here with us in studio. As always, great to be with the two of you. Ditto. Right back at you. And we want to hear from you throughout the month, okay? Summer's wrapping up here. We know that you have questions about the college process, and we love to cover those questions. So give us a call at 866-993-8267. Or shoot us an email at theprocess at SiriusXM.com. The summer might be wrapping up, but you know what's gearing up? The actual application process for seniors. So if you have any questions, let us know. I, I think especially in, in that time frame of September and October where, you know, we're talking about some some deadlines with early decision, with early action. We're talking financial about financial aid. aid deadlines. So please give us a call. Eileen. Yeah. We have a lot of questions that are queued up here. Would you we like do. to read our email questions? Sure. So here's the first email question. My question is regarding early decision. This seems to now be more of a strategy versus a choice. Do you recommend that your child strategically and proactively try to identify a first choice school for early decision, or would you let nature just take its course? I love that language. I know. Let nature take its course. It, that, I don't know. Anyway, so here's my take on this. The whole purpose of early decision, philosophically, was that if a child or an applicant, excuse me, had a very clear-cut first choice then they could employ an early decision option if the school in question offered it. So practically speaking, this is usually a deadline around the first week of November. Right, it's either November November 1, some schools have November 15th. As late as November 15th. And then the decision will usually be somewhere in mid-December. Yes, they'd hear before like they leave for winter break. And before their bigger deadlines of regular decision as well. Correct. But if you are doing things the way I would recommend that you do them, seniors, I love you, I would complete all your regular decision applications before you hear back from that early decision school. Why? Because first of all, few reasons. One, if you're in the in the kind of headset and the mindset of writing out those essays and completing those applications, then it's going to be easier for you to stay on task with that. Two, if you don't hear the news that you are hoping to hear from your early decision school, it's going to be super hard for you to kind of scrape yourself off, stand back up, and focus on those regular decision applications. We want you completing those applications from a position of confidence and optimism as opposed to rejection, dejection, and bitterness. So the question here is, should you have a strategy of having, should you try and fall in love with a school 
and make it your ED choice. I don't know. Eric, what do you think about that? Well, I, I, usually I lead with, and it's, it's, it's kind of interesting, is be careful with early decision because you might get admitted. So <laughs> if you're only employing a strategy, but it's not for all the right reasons of fit that we talk about so much on this show, and I do outline on the blog, page217.org, then I think that it is something that you know you should you know, use the strategy if you've been thoughtful about the process right. all the way through. Don't use it as a chip. Ex- exactly. Right. David. I, I want to issue a jargon alert, and I think maybe you should have a buzzer, a jargon buzzer, because uh. I, I think it's important. <laughs> we're, we're, we're using, Is that pretty good? We're, we're talking uh. about early decision, and I think a lot of listeners won't know what that is, and they won't know what that is compared to early action. Oh, good or, call. Or, and they won't know what that is compared to early decision two, okay, which so is a new trend. So can we tr- can the experts translate into, okay. into English, simple English? I've got English? a great way to remember this. ED, early decision. Think of that D as if you were admitted. You are Dunsky, okay? You have obli- you have signed an agreement. Your mom or dad has signed an agreement. And the college counselor. And the college so counselor. So three signatures on that. And I won't sign that contract until the first two signatures are on it. We take it very seriously. You can only apply to one school under early decision at and a time. And the Common time. App won't let you submit So there's more. some safeguards in there, They're too, right. you know? Right, but it's really incumbent upon the student to act ethically. Yes. Right? So, so. early decision, think of that D as if you're done. admitted, you're done. It's binding. Early action, think of that A, and action is A. You are able to A, apply A anywhere if it's an early action school. So you can have multiple early action applications and, out and, there. And read the, some of the fine details, because um, some places are a little more restrictive right, right, right. than but, others. But I want to make sure I, students and parents understand, you can have an early decision application out there and multiple early action applications at the same time. But if you're admitted to the early decision school, that's where you're going, because right? it's the D for Dunsky. As long right? as financial aid is working out. And you can say, thank you so much to those other college offers, but you have to withdraw your other applications. Now, there's this other little thing called REA, sometimes called EASC. Okay. Those are restrictive. I got my secret decoder ring here. I know, right? Deep jargon. This is big, though. So REA, restrictive early action, which, and every school might have different restrictions, but basically that means that you can apply early action, but that school doesn't want you to apply anywhere else early decision. You might be able to float some applications out in regular decision, and you can then wait until the candidate reply deadline of May 1, but they don't want you to have other applications out there. It's basically releasing you from having to put down that deposit for an early decision binding. It gives you the opportunity to then apply to other schools' regular decision, but not within that early uh, pool. And the other one, early action, single choice. So schools like Yale employ this, Harvard employs this. Just a couple. Just a few. Stanford. Stanford. um, And and they're saying you can only apply to us early action. The only other stipulation, I believe, depending on the school, is you could also apply to a rolling decision or early action public public institution. Mm -hmm. Right. But but to further decode, early action means you submit your application earlier, November Mm -hmm. November time frame. And you hear they notify colleges notify earlier, but you still have till May one to make your decision. Absolutely. Just like you would in regular decision. And so really I do think that particularly on the early action side, the non binding program is in a lot of ways that could help shape your list. So absolutely Let's kind of fast forward from the end of August until the middle of December. And if you were to, say, get deferred early from an institution. Early decision? Or early decision or early action. Okay. How, 
I think that should help inform maybe what the rest of your list looks like, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of aligning you know some of the some of the admissions metrics, while also just really thinking about, let's say you get admitted early action, you non-binding. Might, this happened now, in my ha- family. Are you, are you going to go out and do you have any recommendations to then, you know, not apply to like 10 more schools? Okay. I mean, is it much more strategic and focused at that point? I love this. Both of my children applied to institutions early action. Both of them were ha- so happy with their early action options that even though they had completed their early or no their regular decision schools none of them sent them in none of them sent them in they were a little bitter that i had made them sit down and complete those applications but they never sent those in but they were ready if they needed to otherwise they were going to be really ready to do it but here's the thing they didn't have to pay those application fees yeah they they would have been less bitter if you shared the uh the savings with them oh for god's sake We got that one going ouch, right there. Ouch, that left a mark. So I, I think really to wrap this this question up, which was a great one, and thank you for submitting it to the process at SiriusXM.com, our email, or give us a call, 866-993-8267, is, is really thinking about, be thoughtful about the process, have everything go in that way, and then you may decide which lever to use or not to use as it relates to, as it relates to early programs. Eileen, would you like to choose another question? I'm going to leave that up to you. Really? Yep. Because I'm in a sharing kind of mood. You're in a sharing kind of mood? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, question. What would be your advice for parents and students that started the process a bit late and may be running up against the clock? Now, we're in August right now, so we and can all, take a step yeah. back. We, we You're not time. late. You're not late. Is there a way to make the most of the situation? For example, it may be too late to strengthen your academic record, but maybe one could focus on extracurricular activities, or maybe one simply could focus on preparing the best essays and personal statements. I think really to pull this question together is certainly there are things that are more in the moment that you're going to be completing because they're right in front of you, like the latter part of the question. You know, writing those essays, writing those personal statements, I mean, that's still within your your opportunity zone, I think, as you're heading into any of these de- any of these deadlines. What I would guard against, though, is certainly your grades, freshman, sophomore, junior year. Let's say they're done. You're not doing anything about those, and you know to strengthen your academic record. I think just at any moment focusing on your current courses and grades is a good thing to do. It's never too late to oh, kind yeah. of focus on your courses and grades. No, but at the same time, I would hate to see a student like dump five, if possible, AP courses onto their senior curriculum thinking that everything is going to hinge on their first quarter grades. You want those first quarter grades to be commensurate with your ability and to show continuation of success, but that's not necessarily going to undo previous academic records, correct? Absolutely. Tying back to the last question, maybe you decide not to apply early somewhere because you want to make a better first impression. Make a better first impression by showing the full first half of the senior year if you need that upward trend. Love that. I would have that advice, Is that, that one of the last things too. you do before before the end of the, 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 the calendar year? You're sending out this mid-year report. What does that look like from your end? From my end? From, yeah, um, that you're submitting we, these. Well, we, told, we tell all the, the seniors, we are not only going to send out their mid-year grade report, but their final high school transcript with date of graduation. So they better be making sure that their performance may, remains consistent 
throughout the end of their high school career. So even if they get into a school under early decision or early action and they think they're done, they're not done until they graduate because the college is going to review that mid-year grade report as well as the final high school transcript. We, we, We absolutely review the final high school transcript and try to see if there's any change in kind of the academic trajectory that the student had. And usually what we find from that is that usually there's something underneath it. You know, yeah, there might be a little senioritis and anyone's going to be forgiving about that to a degree. However, there might be something else that's surfacing that we just need to know more about. So we're making sure we're supporting that student in the transition, which is exactly what they're doing right now at the end of August, right? Students moving into campus and, you know, they're really making sure that, right? that, that they're being supported. Here's another piece to this question is, you know, I don't think this is the time to start signing up for every club. Oh, no. No, no, you know, no, you're no, not no, changing no. your behavior and then putting down, it's like I joined these three things you know, in the senior year because I felt the need to fill out these lines on an application. No. There, there has to be a sense of authenticity there. And frankly, colleges are going to be looking for your level of commitment. And you can't really demonstrate that if you're signing up for the first time in September. Right? I mean, that's the way I'm looking at it. It's all a balancing act. The transcript is going to be the jewel in the crown of any college application. So that's really what colleges are going to be looking at most pointedly. And then they're going to be looking at those other aspects, so whether it be test scores, um, letters of recommendation, essay, extracurricular involvement, interview. It could be a variety of different tools, but the transcript is king. Well, I, I think the piece here that is most present in front of students after they've taken their tests and they've been committed to their extracurricular activities are those pieces of the application that are a bit more about their voice. Mm-hmm. So you brought up the interview, they spoke, the question asked about the essays. That's as present as possible as you can be and making sure that that has kind of a, a fresh perspective. What's your story? What's your narrative? How are you communicating that through the application vehicles provided? You know, a number of the questions that we received here at the process really center around, we have a few questions that I think we can kind of put together, and it's really about some some testing. We spoke about testing a bit earlier in the show, however, very specifically about subject tests. Mm -hmm. And so, Eileen, from your perch at the Dwight Englewood School as the Dean of College Counseling, yes, congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you so much. Well earned, well earned, is... You know, how do you take a look at the subject test? Some schools are going to recommend them, like the University of Pennsylvania. Some of them are required, and we already talked about test optional. What's this? You know, specifically thinking about the subject test. When do you take them? Why do you take them? You're going to hit the jargon button. Yeah. Subject test. What? What? What's that? Dave Charlotte. What's a subject test? It is a 60-minute exam focused one hour. on one subject. There you go. And they are offered by the College Board in their suite of um, instruments. Also called SAT2s. And when I was in high school back They were back called in, achievement tests yes, for the parents. Yes, achievement tests. Okay, well, so qu- every Quite honestly, after I took the SATs, this kid from upstate New York, then my parents were going through some guidebook. It wasn't even me. You know, there was no online then, 1983. Is <laughs> They're like, you have to take this other test. I'm like, I thought I already took these things. And yeah. it was kind of a scramble going back to the other question where I needed to take three of these yep. things. I'm All like, the schools okay, I applied to required three. I think I'll take math. I like history and took that <laughs> language. And boy, I don't know if I did very well on any of these. But let's the math. go. Let's just f- focus back on this. I think the best thing for a student to do is to take, or if they are going to sit for those subject tests, to take them um, as close as they can to the completion of the coursework that is on that subject test. 
right? Because if you're taking them all in the fall of senior year, but you took U.S. When history you, in junior students... year, you have to relearn that information. So Most this might be one are... of the first tests they take then if it's content specific. Some of it might be depending on the student's curriculum. But most high school juniors are taking American history. So I would take American history, for example, or recommend that you take it at the end of junior year. But here's what I want to, you know, you said something, Penn recommends yeah. them. Yeah. I love you, Eric. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> Scott, can you bleep out that expletive yes. from on, uh, on, optional on, on means the show, required on this to family stress out students? Show. By the way, so you know, truly, we, we talked about even self-reported test scores before as a barrier. Mm-hmm. I mean, our research, and it is really through research, has found that taking those subject tests, maybe going back to what I even said about my own personal experience, has become a barrier for many mm-hmm. students, particularly first-generation college students who aren't up on this lingo, may not have access to, you know, a lot of this information that we're sharing. And so that was the group of students that was getting blocked out. Then the other question we need to ask is, how additive is this? Right. Because we feel very strongly on this side of the desk that we're not going to ask students to do things that they, that we're not going to review and doesn't add a certain level of value. Now, subject tests, I think we really compromised here a little bit, quite Mm -hmm. honestly, because subject tests do add predictive Predictability. Validity. Validity. <laughs> yeah, put those two words together. That does help us in the decisions. What okay. I do find, though, is many students taking specific subject tests are already so focused within an area. You know, the students who are taking physics, everyone's not taking the physics subject right, test. Right, right, right. You know, our engineering applicants are. We suggest that that could be helpful in the evaluation. So in wrapping this up, I think one of your best resources is your college counselor or your guidance counselor and your teachers your teachers in those subjects will be familiar for the most part with the content of each of those subject tests and they would be a great person to speak to with regards to guiding you which tests do you think I should take and how will I do and because they're only 60 minutes you can actually do a practice test without burning burning a whole Saturday yeah it's not a huge risk right? right at least for a practice test hey Wow, we covered a lot of ground today. So just one more piece to this, and that is take three in one day? No. Don't take? No, no. You can take three in a day. Here's the thing, though. If you take two and then you're like, you know what, I'm going to go for that third, and you get halfway through it, and you're like, yeah, not so much. Don't cancel your scores. You cancel one score of a test day. You cancel them all. Right, so that would be that would be horrible. Um, so just make sure you read the rules and regs. As always, time flies by. That's the process. We'll be back at the same time. Last weekend of the month, here we are at the end of summer, 866-993-8267. Eileen Cunningham, Fikens, David Charlo, Scott Marlowe, thanks so much.